This is the Motion Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like more information about Motion Church, you can always visit our website at motionchurch.com. If you'd like to contribute to what God is doing here at Motion, you can do that at motionchurch.com forward slash give. We hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, what's up, everybody? Um, So, actually, first off, that was terrible. That was unbelievable. Next time I see you out out somewhere around town and you look at me, I'll be like, same thing you just did to me. Uh, What's up, everybody? A lot better, a lot, lot better. I was telling the first experience, I feel like like Sunday mornings, it's just like I'm, I'm coming in to catch up with my friends, right? Tell you about some things I've been thinking about, what I've been learning, right? It's just, it's, I don't know, I love to, I love, preaching, I think it's incredibly important, but I think also community is equally important. I don't know. So here, here's something that's interesting. This just showed up. I'm not, I don't, I don't know who did it. I still right now to this point don't know who did it. And they even gave like a little, so I can, when y'all get out of line, it's coming. It's coming. Hey, so we're kicking off a new series today called The Table of Gratitude. Uh, so for those of you who are not sinners, there is a holiday that's coming up. It's called Thanksgiving. Now, some of y'all skip Thanksgiving and go straight on to killing baby reindeer and whatever it is when you skip Thanksgiving. Y'all have heard that? I don't want to sound weird, but like they say, if you put up your your Christmas tree before Thanksgiving that you kill baby reindeer, uh, some of y'all do that, and it's just, call PETA. That's just wrong. Stop. Don't do that. So for the rest of us, how many of you enjoy Thanksgiving? Oh, I just, that wasn't, I expected more solidarity. And like, I love, love, probably my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. When else, when, when else do we condone, even celebrate people eating so much food that they're miserable? And then you, baby, wherever you sit in is where you sleep. It don't even matter. Like, you can be in a stranger's house. Like, you're in great aunt so-and-so's house that you've met one time, and if she got a couch, that is now your bed. And we're all good with that. I, I love Thanksgiving. And then we're going to wake you up when it's time for round two, and you're going to do the whole thing over again. I love Thanksgiving. And, and some people, for some god-awful reason, skip right over it. Now, so here's kind of the idea. Because that's where we're at, and that's kind of the way a lot of people have this idea of gratitude on their minds, right? It's something that they think about. I, and, and I don't know of anybody who doesn't want to be a person who, who has gratitude, right? I don't, I don't personally know of anybody who's like, man, I really want my life to suck. And I want to focus on all the bad things all of the time and just be a miserable person. I don't, maybe they're out there, but I don't know anybody. I haven't personally met anybody like that. Maybe I have. I don't know. Not, not off the top of my head. And so because we're thinking about gratitude this time of the year, I want, to, I want to talk about kind of as a follower of Jesus, where this comes from. I think gratitude is a condition of our hearts. It's not, it's not a response to something that happens. It is a condition of our hearts in spite of what may happen. And so kind of with this idea of, of again, feasting, right? I think about a table. And so the table has a top, which is where all the good stuff is. That's where we're trying to get to. But you don't really get to experience the good stuff unless you've got these, these supports, these underpinnings that make the table stand, right? So, so even just a, using the table as an analogy and illustration, we understand that every table has got legs, right? And that the legs support the table so that we can then go and celebrate the good stuff on top of the table. 
Everybody understand where I'm coming from? Like shaking heads, little mm-hmm, that's right, Pastor, whatever, just something. All right, so that's kind of where we're looking at this thing from. What are the supports? What is necessary for us to, to experience to have a, a life that is filled with gratitude? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of dive into what I believe is kind of this, this first behavior or belief that helps us to have gratitude, and it is contentment. Every time I change points, two taps for a change of point, two claps and a Ric Flair, right? So every time, no, we're not going to do that. How many of you guys remember like first, second, third grade when you were in elementary? That's been a long time for some of us. Um, now, I don't know if they still do this or not, but they used to pass out coloring sheets. Like where they would actually give you crayons that you may or may not eat. Y'all didn't do that? Explains a lot, doesn't it? Right? So, so they would give us papers that we would color and we would, and so around Thanksgiving every year, they would give us a paper and we would do the pilgrims, right? And do all of that stuff. And one of the things that was always on the papers was this, this funky looking horn thing. Y'all remember? Yeah, I was, I was getting to that. Give me a second. Let me preach, right? So, so the cornucopia was this, it's actually a goat horn, but that's, that's kind of gross if you think about it. And they would fill it with all of the, the vegetables. And so it, it wasn't just a, a, an item, but it was a symbol. And the cornucopia was a symbol of having plenty, right? That we have everything that we need. And so as it relates to contentment, the title for today's message is Cornucopia of Contentment because I like alliteration, right? And so the cornucopia of, let's talk about how we get to a place where we have an, an understanding that we have everything we need to be content. We have plenty to be content. So I think that, you know, again, contentment is a, a foundational support of gratitude, right? It's, this, it's one of the legs on the table. Think about it like this. I think it is, it is incredibly difficult to be thankful when you're in a state of dissatisfaction, right? When, when the things that, you're, that are going on in your life that, that, again, are taking so much of your time, energy, and attention, when they're not going how you want them to go and you're just unsatisfied with those things, tell me there's not spillover into other areas of your life and you become less appreciative of everything because of the things that you're, you know, again, experiencing and feeling with these things that cause dissatisfaction. If you're, if you're struggling to find satisfaction with the various aspects of your life, like, and again, this is so broad, right? This could be your job, this could be your career, this could be your family, this could be your health, this could be any number of things. And so if you're struggling to find satisfaction with any of those things, you're very unlikely to be sitting at the table of gratitude. If gratitude was a table and, and you've got this dissatisfaction with things that are going on in your life or these circumstances or events, you're probably not pulling up a seat to feast at the table of gratitude, right? And so contentment is such an important building block and, and fortunate for us, there's a lot of good information in scripture as to how we achieve it, why we should have it. And, and what I love about, this is one of the things I love about God is like God, he didn't have to give us the why. I mean, as an authority figure, I don't have to give, if I'm an authority figure over someone, I don't have to give the why. I just tell them what, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's just, as an authority figure, that's all that you're required to do. But God is so much more than that. He's a father. He's not just an authority figure. So he gives us the what, and then he gives us the why, because there's so many of us are inquisitive why people, right? When I was a kid, I was like, why, why, why? Just shut up and do it, right? Any of y'all, y'all got kids like that? I got one, and he is a why kid, just why, 
Wow, because I said so, right? And every parent said that you weren't going to say that when you were a kid, and here you are a parent, and you're saying, because I said so. Anybody else? Okay. All right, good. Y'all are waking up a little bit. At least you're being honest in church. All right, so let's talk about, the, the again, kind of the what and why of contentment. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, it says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And I love the, the wording there. It's great gain. It is, it is a terrific advantage for you and me to have a life that's filled with godliness and contentment. And then it goes on to kind of explain what contentment is. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I think that's, that's the most basic, simple explanation of what contentment is. You don't take anything out of this place when you leave it. You, it doesn't matter how awesome you are, how smart you are, how talented you are, how wealthy you are, how resourced you are. All of that stuff that you work for and accumulate and devote your life to, when you die, it's gone. It's staying here, you gone, right? It's, it's not gone, you gone, right? You're, you're gone and all of that stuff stays here. None of it comes with you. You didn't bring anything in and you ain't take anything out. And so the, the takeaway is then be content with what you have. Be content with the state and the lot that you have. And so that to me is probably, again, the most simple way to explain, and it helps us to understand what contentment is. It's just a reminder that God is faithful to provide for the needs that you have. As long as you've got food and you've got clothes, you've got those very basic necessities in your life taken care of, then you are a candidate for contentment. You are eligible for contentment. You got breath in your lungs. You got a little food in your belly. Then you have every reason necessary to be a person of contentment. We should find this, again, just a, a calm and a steadiness in our souls as a result of that. And, and unfortunately, instead of that, what you see so often in our world, kind of our culture, is, is chaos in our souls because we're told, this is one of the, the phrases that's used pretty regularly to describe kind of this, this subsection of culture, and it's this hustle culture. You heard of it? That was a question. You can answer questions in church, too. You ever heard of hustle culture? Okay. So, so kind of the idea is, is like, again, we're told that, man, you just got to go work. You got to go grind. You got to get it. You got to rise, grind, get it, rise, grind. And they put, like, uh, you know, all this just crazy, crazy. And look, I love, I love work. I love that, that people build and achieve and accomplish. I think it's incredible. But again, all of that stays here. You don't. There will be a great separation at the end. So if your entire life is devoted to all of that, just, right, the investment and the payoff. There, there's this massive gap between the two. And so this, this again, kind of the, the culture that we live in is like, you got to go get all of this stuff and you got to accumulate and you got to work and you got to build. And then if at the end of it all, it's all taken away, what did you really do? And so that's kind of the, the reconciliation that needs to take place. Like, hey man, if I've got the food that I need and I've got breath in my lungs, if, if I've got a place to lay my head, then I have everything that I need to be content. If, if we realize or if we establish kind of this, this basic meeting of our needs that I've got food and I've got, you know, I've got some, some places to put my head or a place to put my head. I guess you don't need multiple houses, right? Uh, if you've got food and you've got clothing, then that's your baseline for contentment. That's all that's necessary for you and I to be content. And so once we do that, once we establish that as our baseline for contentment, it helps us to realize that anything beyond that is a blessing. Any, anything... 
I don't talk to a whole lot of people that think that anything above food and clothing is a blessing. They think it's an expectation. They, they, they treat it or view it as an expectation, an entitlement, something that they deserve because of, you know, their effort, their work, their accomplishments. And in reality, all that we really need, food and clothing, according to Scripture, right? And if you got that, that's our baseline for contentment. So this creates, once you do this, you've, you've got this baseline for contentment. All I need are these very basic needs being fulfilled, and then I will be content with that. Anything beyond that is a blessing from God, and that creates kind of this spillover of gratitude in our lives, right? So, so my cup is filled, kind of using the old imagery. And so now that I've, I've got all that I need, anything beyond that is an expression of a heart that's filled with gratitude. Kind of makes me think about the, the cornucopia, right? It's plenty. I have plenty. All of my needs are met, and I have plenty. And as a result of my realization, my seeing that I have plenty, I will be a person of gratitude, See how that, that works, right? So being aware of the, the blessings in our lives, it creates gratitude. But I think that, that that, again, is only attainable when we experience contentment. We have contentment. We see that we have what we need. Then we can kind of shift over into gratitude because we realize that everything else is a blessing. We've got the most basic, necessary things in life. Anything beyond that is a blessing. So that's baseline contentment, right? Now, here's where it gets, it gets even more interesting. Paul takes contentment to the next level. So what we do, what I do, what, what I suspect that you do is like, we've kind of, we've done that. We've explained contentment as I've got what I need that's good enough. Paul takes it a little bit further. I mean, kind of like crazy next level far. This is what he says, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It says this, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then in verse 13, which we normally, it's like some people treat Thanksgiving. That's how they treat this passage. They skip all that stuff and go to verse 13. It says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. And so in this passage, Paul's talking about contentment that, that is actually transcendent of our, our earthly circumstances. So what we've done is we've kind of reduced contentment, contentment down to as long as my needs are met, then I will be content. Paul's like, hey, actually, even if your needs aren't met, there's a contentment that's available to you if you want to experience that. It's an, a contentment that ultimately comes from God. We are satisfied in him and because of him. And so that's where verse 13 makes more sense. I can do all of this. I can, in not my own strength, but in the strength that Jesus gives me, I can be content in anything that I experience. And so that's what, that's what we're after, right? That's this, this, this cornucopia, this plenty of contentment. So it makes it possible for us to realize this or experience this only when we've got that right perspective that we are, we're sojourners. That's one, one you guys... That's a, that's a clever word. It's a fun word. So I don't remember which version of Scripture calls it, but, but kind of the idea is that we're just passing through, right? This is not our home. This is not all that we were made for and built for. We're on a journey. And if you've got kids, are we there yet? No, you're not. We're not there yet. We're, gonna, we're, just, we're keeping on keeping on, right? We're not there yet. And so kind of what helps me to, to, to know that this is a fact, right, that, that having the right perspective changes everything, 
probably in 2006, seven, Shelly and I went on our, our first real big mission trip. Like, here's what church, church is so funny. When we do mission trip stuff, uh, it's like we go and we, we raise an exorbitant amount of money to go and visit a place as a vacation when we could have just sent the money and done so much more for the place that we went and visited. That's just my opinion. And, and look, I've done it. Like we've gone and we've, you know, we've raised money to go to, to, to visit all of these places and, and we helped, but really probably the resources would have been more helpful. When you go on a mission trip, let me just help you out. When you go on a mission trip, it does way more for you than you ever do for them. That's, that's just a fact, right? That's the way it is. So we went to, we went to Haiti. This was, we went four times in total, but the first time that we went was was uh, obviously it's all impactful, but the first time was just so eye-opening, uh, specifically in regards to this kind of this idea of contentment. So we went, I don't know what you know about Haiti, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere at the time. I don't know if the numbers have changed. Uh, the average annual income, household annual income was $1,800 a year, $1,800 a year. Uh, so as you can imagine, there is a lot of poverty. There's a lot of people living in, in less than ideal circumstances. It was not uncommon to find 10 people, like, you know, different aspects of the family, grandma, mom, kids, like several, several people living in a, like a 10 by 10 hut, like a very, very small room. They did not have access to a lot of food. They, most, of the, most of the time didn't have access to clean drinking water. They would have to travel for miles to get clean drinking water. And so you go as, you know, a very privileged American and you're just like, you know, we think we've got it all figured out. We think we're just, you know, just the brightest people on the face of the planet. And so we get over there. And, and what I realized is that in spite of their lack, many of them had way better outlooks on life than most of us do. Many of them had this level of contentment that was so far beyond my ability to understand in the face of the lack that they had. Like you see, like I can make fun of Americans because I am one, right? Like that's kind of the rule. I can make fun of my family. You don't make fun of my family. So Americans, we've got, we've got more stuff than we could possibly imagine even uh, what to do with and, and, and how to possibly use it. And, and the problem, and I can prove this, like this is, this is, I like to, to make points and arguments just because I like to argue. Uh, just always been like that, right? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, we don't really have a problem. Tell me, if that's, the, if that's the case, if we haven't made an idol out of things, explain to me why one of the fastest growing industries in the United States is storage buildings. Oh, you know, we don't need things. We don't need stuff. We don't believe in accumulation. However, I've got so much stuff that it won't fit in my house that is larger than most people's house in the, the globe. And so what I have to do now is I have to take some of the stuff in my house that's overflowing from my house and put it in an additional building that is not connected to my house because I got so much stuff, but I don't have a problem, right? Look, and I understand storage buildings are necessary sometimes when you move in and downsize, whatever. But, but generally speaking, we got a problem, and we have all of this stuff, and we've done all of this accumulating, and, and, and again, kind of just buying hook, line, and sinker into this law, and we are as discontented as ever. We got all the stuff that was supposed to make us content, and we're still so incredibly unhappy what gives. And so we, we go to this country that is, again, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and they are happier and happy, I don't even like to use the word, right? Like kind of this deeper happiness, like not just happy, you happy, 
because you got a puppy, like happy, like content with your life, a satisfaction that's in your soul, right? And so they've got so much more of that than we've got. Why is that? I think a lot of times it's because we put all of our hope and all of our, our trust in things, and those things is not where our hope and our trust should be. Those things are volatile. Those things can be taken away. Those things will be taken away at some point. And so you better find some other place to put all of your confidence and your hope. Everybody kind of with me on the understanding here of what contentment is, why it's necessary. And, and I think even more than that, I, th I think it's important to note that con contentment is not a suggestion. Contentment is not, this is what maybe if, if you're a really mature and responsible person that follows Jesus, then this is a level that you get to, right? I want you at the end of your life, once you've done everything that you've done and you figured out that none of that stuff actually works like you thought it would, then you can be content. It's just like, hey, the expectation for all of us is to be content. That's what we are called to do. So let's go just a little bit further in, in kind of defining contentment. What is contentment? I was, I was telling the first experience when I was a kid, I enjoyed reading a dictionary. It's weird. I get it. Did anybody else read dictionaries when you were kid? I knew you two would. Like I had no, there was no question about, I should have asked anybody other, any, anybody outside of this section right here enjoy reading because nobody else raised your hands. I just, did you? Who did? No, never mind. Got me, got my hopes up. So at any rate, I love dictionaries and I love definitions and all that stuff. So, so the, the Greek word that's used for content, this is the definition. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the actual Greek word, but this is the definition. It's contented, which frustrates me because you're not supposed to use the word in the definition. Everybody knows that, but it gives us an alternative. Sufficient with one's lot with one's meanings, though the slenderest, and that's the word that it used. If it's not a word, don't take it up with me, take it up with them, right? Sufficient with one's lot, with, with what you've got, with what's in front of you, with what's been allocated to you, with one's means, with the, the resources that you have, I'm okay with where I'm at, and I'm okay with what I've got, and I'm okay with what I've accomplished, there may be more in store for me, and I do anticipate that, but I'm okay with my lot and my means, though the slenderest. You know what that means? That means sometimes you just going to make it. Uh, you are, you, the, the old expression, and it's so disgusting, by the skin of your teeth. Honey, you got skin on your teeth. You need to go to the dentist. That's gross, Right? But, but the idea is like sometimes, sometimes you are just going to make it through. Have you ever gotten through a situation that you didn't know how you were going to get it through? It seemed impossible. It seemed like the face of a mountain. And there, were, there was no way that you in your own strength could get through it. And you got through it. And you're exhausted and you're worn out. And, and you can look back and say, though the slenderest. I, I, I don't know. I still to this day don't even know how I made it. But I made it, and I ultimately understand that it was not in my own strength. It was through Christ who strengthens me, though the slenderest, right? And I think that's so helpful because we, we think, again, we think so often in terms of, of wealth and accumulation and resources and, and to steal a word from Alice in Wonderland, muchness, right? We just think about this. We think of things in terms of more. We always view things, in fact, when you have a toddler, that's one of the first things that you teach them, more. And, and I, mine's not even a toddler, and he's just like, 
like a garbage disposal. He's, he's, a, he's a, like a, a reverse mini-X, and he's got a bucket, and he's like, Rawr. just crazy, just more. And I think that contentment is, is the dislearning or unlearning of what we are naturally inclined to. Like we're, we're, our natural disposition is for more. Contentment is being content with, though, the slenderest, right? So I, know I went too far on the definition, but I, I love them, okay? Y'all got to take this thing away from them. I'm, I'm, so so when I, th- th- this is what's fun. So you've got definitions, of course, and then they always do the semicolon and then another portion of the definition. You guys, uh, all right. So anyway, that one additional part of the definition explains that it is independent of external circumstances. By definition, contentment is the this, this satisfaction, the this sufficient in your lot and your means, though the slenderest, independent of external circumstances, which is exactly the point that Paul was making. I've been in need, and I've I've experienced plenty. I've I've been in, and there's one passage where he just kind of goes through all of the things that he's experienced. He's had these highs and these lows, these extremes in his life, and he's like, in spite of anything and everything that I've gone through, there is this contentment that is independent of my external circumstances. Kind of, again, it's just this reminder that it doesn't really matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter how bad, how bleak, how dark that there is contentment available to us. It's possible, but it doesn't come naturally, which kind of leads us to our, our second part portion of defining contentment. I don't think that contentment is, again, something that comes naturally. I think that contentment is something that we learn I don't think it's something, again, kind of thinking about it from just, you know, this, this human development aspect, right? Not something that we naturally pick up on as we go through life because all of the messing, messaging that, that is sent to us is like more, more, and more. All of the, the feelings that we have coming from the inside are like more, 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 right? So we're getting messages and, and kind of information from both sides. But contentment is not like that. It's something that we have to choose and be willing to learn about. And so this is what it says in Philippians chapter 4. It says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I have learned the secret. Now, Paul is the worst secret keeper on the face of the planet. Because in the very next verse, he tells what the secret is. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And then we get verse 13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is the secret to being content, that it's not me. It's not about me. I don't operate in my own strength. I don't operate in my own ability. You go back to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, like, don't lean on your own understanding, okay? So that's where I find contentment. It's not based on what I know. It's based on what God knows. It's just, all right, I got to stop, right? So many toys and options now. The only thing now I need is an applause button. Or a white towel button. Everybody's like, preach, preacher. It could get out of hand. Quick, quick. So, you did what? No, absolutely not. I'm calling the shots up here. You don't walk into the, okay, anyway, anyway, anyway. So, so all of that to say, like, contentment is available to us. Contentment is available in spite of or in light of, regardless of our current circumstances. And so think about it kind of from, from this perspective. 
You, you don't really know what something is until you've had to walk through the conditions that prove what something is. And so I think about with contentment, you don't really learn contentment in a, a kind of in a vacuum in this hypothetical or theoretical sense. You learn contentment, uh, think about it like this. You don't learn it from a book, you learn it and you learn contentment in the streets, right? You, you don't learn contentment like it, as, you know, powerful as it is to know the definition and what it means. You don't know what though the slenderest means until you have lived though the slenderest. You don't know what just getting by means. You don't know what not operating in your own strength means until you've had to be in a position where you were, you were living that out. Need is necessary to prove that we truly understand what contentment is. And, and what we do so often is, is we hate this position or the idea of being in need, but need is necessary. And now this is not what we do, like naturally, I think we just automatically go to, to resources and money and it's like, well, we don't want to be in need. But here's what's so good about this is like this applies to everything. Like, I don't know about you, but there are times where, where my, my soul is in need. I am desperately in need of God to do for me what I cannot do for myself. There are times when my relationships are in need. It's, it's not where I want it to be. I can find thankfulness and gratitude with where it's at, but there is a need there. And so I think need is necessary to prove that we truly understand contentment. Y'all remember we used to get so upset and frustrated with teachers when they would give us a test. You're like, oh, what'd you give me a test for? Well, also, they gave us a syllabus at the beginning of the year that told us the test that they were going to give us, and we just disregarded that, right? We knew the test was coming, and we still got mad when the test was given. Anybody else do that? Good. Y'all are starting to be more honest in church. This is terrific. So, so it's like the teacher giving out a test. They don't give out a test to be rude. They don't give out a test because they're vindictive. They don't give out a test because you talk too much, although that may be part of it, right? They give out a test to, to make sure that you have an operational understanding of the subject that they've been teaching for months while you're making paper airplanes and spit wads. They want to know that you know the subject, and you don't know the subject until you've been tested on the subject. When it comes to contentment, it's important for us to experience these, these times of need, these tests, so that we know what we need to know. That's what need is as it relates to contentment. So that's kind of a better, hopefully a better understanding of what contentment is. Let's wrap up. You should be like, Amen. Yeah, y'all are learning. Y'all are sharp. Because normally I say, I'm almost done. I'm like, everybody say amen. Y'all say amen. And I say, don't do that. That's rude. Y'all didn't fall for it. Okay, let's finish by talking about what contentment is not. I think it's helpful sometimes to know what something isn't so that we can better understand what it is, right? So as it relates to contentment, this is just really kind of one statement that I thought was worth sharing. It's contentment is not having everything you want and then being happy as a result of the accumulation. Because that's kind of the way that we present contentment. It's like, when I get there, when, when in my career I get to this position here, when I have that relationship, then I will be content, right? And we do this with so many different aspects of our lives, and, and that is not contentment. Contentment, again, is not conditionally based on your circumstances. Contentment transcends. It is greater than your circumstances. And so 
Contentment is not about the this and there and when and if. Contentment is about right now in the moment what you have and finding satisfaction in that. You know what, what I, I think? I think that if, if having a little and not being able to find satisfaction and contentment in that little, I don't think more will ever scratch the itch. I don't think that, and, and this is just, again, things that we know, things that are so obvious or should be so obvious. If you can't find through perspective and awareness some reasons to be happy and satisfied and content with what you have currently, I don't know that there is any amount that will ever make you feel better. I don't know that there's any accomplishment or achievement that will ever make you feel like you're, you know, content at a point or a place where you can be content. I think what happens by that point is that you have created these patterns of accumulation. You've created these, these kind of, again, conditions in your heart where it's like if and when and if and when, and then we're always moving the target. Have y'all ever done this? Like I do this in my own head and like different aspects of like, oh, well, it's like, okay, that's cool that I did that. And I said I would be really happy when I got to that point. But now that I'm here, it's like, well, that's so much better than where I am now. So maybe I'll just take the target and just move it down the road just a little bit further. And then, you know, months or years later, it's like, okay, well, I know I was there and I said I was going to be happy when I was there and I got there and I moved it down the road a little bit and I'm here now and I still just don't think this is quite all that I need. I think that there's more for me and I push it down the road. How about we just stop? Can we just stop doing this, this silly thing with more and understand that what you have right now, where you are right now is enough for you to be content. You are a candidate for contentment right now, where you're at. First Timothy chapter six, verses nine through 11. So it's, it's interesting. Think, think about it like this. Again, there, there was a flow that I, I interrupted because we did verses six through eight, where it says godliness with contentment is great gain. You didn't bring anything in. You're not taking anything out. And it, it follows up with this passage. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's strong, right? And now, this is, y'all know what we do with this when we, when, 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 when we read that? When, when, when we read that? I don't know what you do, but I'm like, yeah, those rich people. Shoot, those rich people, they fall into temptation and a trap and the many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Look at you now. And, and if y'all want to look statistically like we are among the richest people on the face of the earth, right? What was the, the number was a few years ago when I heard this statistic that if you, as a family, if your, your family income is above $40,000 a year, you are in the top 2% of wage earners in the entire world. And so we read this and we're like, oh yeah, those rich people. Um, how about us who are also in this mindset of just more and more and more and more and we do many foolish and harmful things that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Okay, so this is what it says. It follows that up. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Pause. Very important because you have jack wagons, people who never consider context, or they do sound bites. Y'all know we live in the soundbite society where you take a full statement and you truncate the statement to say what you want it to say, not what it actually says. And so the statement is, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It is not money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Again, God is always interested in your heart. 
It's always an aspect or, or considering the motive of the heart. He doesn't care about what you have. God could care less about the things that you have and how cool you are. God just is worried about your heart. He's concerned about your heart. Matthew chapter 6 is one of those that we use. It's like Jesus said, hey, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus doesn't need your treasure. He wants your heart. So the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it says this, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, let me just stop and, and I, I probably stopped too much and, and whatever, it just is what it is, right? So I think about it in terms of, again, my limited perspective, I think about kind of the world that we live in, the society that we live in. And we've, we've put this, this earmark on success. We're like, if, 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 I can do this, or if I can accomplish this, or if I can make this, then I will be happy. Let me ask you a question. If that's the case, why are there so many people who have done the thing that you're trying to do who are unhappy? If, if the thing or the amount or the achievement or the accomplishment is the thing that brings contentment in your life, why are there so many people who have done that thing and don't have any contentment in their life? Let's, let's turn it upside down. Jesus is the one who brings contentment. Jesus is the one who brings stability to your heart and your soul. It's never going to be a thing. It's never going to be a relationship. It's never going to be an accomplishment. It's never going to be an amount of money. None of those, those things are fun, obviously. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all of these things will be added to you. He knows about those things. He cares about those things, but he cares about you so much more than he cares about those things. Finish it up. Verse 11, it says, but you, man of God, people of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Can I nerd out for just a minute? Okay, so I do talk about grammar probably way more than anybody's interested in. Do y'all remember what homonyms are? Words that sound the same but have different meanings? Go with me. Contents will never make you content. Contents, things, stuff, accomplishments, possessions will never make us content. Contents will never make you they're not exactly homonym because they're pronounced different, but you understand what I'm saying, right? So, so it, this is so, so broad and so far reaching. It's every aspect of our life where we're, we're constantly doing this, this pursuit of more. Just remember that those contents don't make us content. It's like the old saying, have you heard the saying that the journey is the destination? Y'all heard that one? So the first time I heard that, it was, was months before we started the church. It was probably, you know, February, January, February, March, somewhere in, in 2012, a friend of mine who had started a church a couple of years before was coming to town. And so we had lunch and, and he just wanted to share some insight, right? He's like, hey, you're about to start a church. This is what to expect. These are some of the things that we experience. These are maybe some of the things that you'll experience. And we talked for, I don't know, an hour and a half or two hours. And I don't remember any of it except one thing. He said, the journey and it was one of those, like, not trying to be, like, cheesy or impactful, but, but just kind of made sure that he had my attention long enough for me to understand. He's like, hey, man, just remember the journey is the destination. And you know what I did? In my head, I said, no, it's not. 
I said the journey is the journey and the destination is by definition. The journey is the journey. The journey cannot be a destination because it's something that's constantly moving, whereas the destination is the destination because that's where it stops. And boy, was I wrong. One of those things that, you know, again, like ignorance and, and maybe youthfulness, like youthful vigor. And so I was so, so convinced that I was right. And the older I've gotten, I've, I've started to understand more and more what he was saying. It's like, hey, make sure, make sure that it's not always about this, then, and where. It's about where you're at currently and finding something, latching on to some reason to have contentment in your soul. It's the journey and the people that you're with right now. It's part of the journey. That's part of the destination. It's all connected. Find some some contentment in that. What you've accomplished right now, stop, celebrate that, appreciate that. Look back and see the things that God has brought you through. That's okay. Small rear view mirror, large front windshield, right? That doesn't mean that we never check our rear view mirrors. Every once in a while, it's okay. So I wanna wrap up today with with a little bit of application that I hope helps. So you. You go back to, to Jesus, I think Jesus kind of points to this. He kind of lends his, his thoughts to this idea of contentment when you read what we know as the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus, the Son of God, is teaching us how to pray. That's pretty cool. And he was like, this is where you do. This is where you start. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Great place to start. You are God, I am not. And then he says, that the next step here is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, this perspective shift that this ain't it for us. This is just a, it's a passing through that we're doing, that we are built for something more that is eternal. And then the first thing that he says as it relates to our experiencing life is, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. God, give us the things that we need and we can find contentment in that. And so my question to you this morning is, did he give you this day? Did you wake up this morning with breath in your lungs, with all of your capacities and all of your, your abilities to function, your ability to get yourself in your car and drive yourself to church and sing these songs of worship to our God? Did he give you this day? And if he did, you are a candidate for contentment. Shelly and I, we, we like old church songs, not like some of y'all like, like Southern Baptist hymns. I ain't with it. I like, I like church, church songs. And so there was this church song that we used to sing and it was, I wish I could sing. Cause I would just get into it. If I could, I get my gavel and boy be on. But, but the premise of the song is he woke me up this morning and he started me on my way. And as a result of that, I'm, I'm adding parts here, I'm gonna give him the glory and I'm gonna give him the praise. He woke me up this morning and he started me on my, he woke me up this morning, he put these, these thoughts, these passions, these desires in my heart and my mind. He gave me breath into my lungs. He gave me a family, he gave me a house. He gave me the ability to, to go and create wealth. Like all of these things that Jesus did for me, he woke me up this morning, he gave me this day. And because he gave it to me, that's enough for me, and I will be content. Do, do you want to have a seat at the table of gratitude? Start by practicing contentment. Start by practicing, God, you gave me this day, and that's enough for me. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for... God, giving and giving and giving. 
God, you, you so love the world that you gave your one and only son. Jesus, even while we were still sinners, enemies of the cross, you gave and you demonstrated to us what love is by dying on the cross for our sins. We're so thankful. God, if, if you never did another thing, you've done enough. And it's just amazing to me that you continue to give and give and give. That God, even though you've done enough, you continue to provide for the needs that we have. You continue to make a way for us when it feels like there is no way. God, you, even though we're in a season or a situation where it feels like though the slenderest, God, we serve a God who makes a way when there is no way. We serve a God who takes the valleys in our life and raises them up. We serve a God who takes the mountains in our life and brings them down. He's the God who makes straight paths through the desert. God, help us to be content in you. God, I know that, that it's okay. There's nothing wrong, God, with the work that we do and the things that we achieve. All of that stuff is fine as long as it never, ever, ever takes the place of this incredible God who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son for us. Help us to find our contentment in you, Jesus, in you and you alone. It's in your incredible name we pray. Amen.